This is the School Success Podcast, a podcast for school leaders to learn from other school leaders what's working and what's not, and to get inspiration and encouragement, as well as strategies to grow school enrollment, connect with families, retain teachers, recruit teachers, and everything in between. You guys are heroes, and I cannot thank you enough for pouring into this next generation that's coming behind us. My goal is you will take at least one thing away from every episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. Please enjoy the School Success Podcast. Hey, School Success Makers, welcome to another edition of the School Success Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Slater, and I'm joined by a new friend, Roger, out of the great state of Pennsylvania. And he's got quite the background that I'm going to highlight real quick before we jump in. He's currently still helping at Liberty University as a research methodologist, and he is also working with Columbia International University as an adjunct professor and doctoral mentor. And then he's also working at Summit Ministries, which is his main thing, and he's the Senior Director of Worldview Education. So lots and lots of things, has a huge background in education. And so I was like, he's got to come on the podcast because I wanted to have an episode specifically targeted to the Christian school listeners that we have. And so this one, again, if you're listening, you're not a Christian school, of course, you'll still get something out of this episode. But this one is specifically geared toward the Christian schools that are listening and how they can help make their Christian school better. And so before we jump into today's episode and all its fun and glory, we're going to highlight our amazing sponsors over at America's Christian Credit Union. Hey, you guys have heard this spiel probably before if you've been listening regularly, but they are celebrating 65 years of service this year, and they provide essential school banking services and a tuition financing program for schools that are looking to reduce their risk and administrative burden. And you can learn all about it on their website at americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. That's americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. My favorite thing they offer is their tuition financing. So those Christian schools, like you guys that are listening, if you're having a hard time collecting all of the tuition that is owed to you throughout the school year and you have somebody having to chase people and it just becomes like a messy situation, you can have America's Christian Credit Union do tuition financing loans for your families and they then pay the credit union directly and you get your money up front at the beginning of the school year so you don't have to chase anybody. America's Christian Credit Union does what they do best and it doesn't cost your school anything. So check out all about that stuff on their website, americaschristiancu.com forward slash schools. All right, well, we're going to jump right into today's episode. I'll pass it off to Roger to introduce himself. So Roger, welcome to the podcast today, sir. Yeah, thanks, Mitchell. Great to hang out with you for a little bit today. As Mitchell said, I serve as the director of Worldview Education at Summit Ministries, which means I have the fantastic job of walking alongside Christian school leaders, Christian university professors and administrators, church ministry leaders, and families, helping them to develop a biblical worldview in the up-and-coming generation. So it is a great life. Love it, man. Well, hey, before we even jump in all the nitty gritty stuff, I always start with the same fun question. And it's if I was to visit you where you are in Pennsylvania, which please share the city when you start to say this, but if I was to visit you, you're like, hey, Mitchell, you got to do this to have the full experience of our city, county area that we're in. What, what would I have to do, Roger? Well, we live in a city, well, a town called Lincoln University. And the reason it is called that is because this town area is home to Lincoln University, which is the oldest and first CU university in America. So that's kind of our claim to fame right here. So I live in the woods, up on a little cul-de-sac in the woods, and right down the hill from me, when the windows are open, 
You can hear the bleating of sheep and the lowing of cows and a rooster. So I live in Amish farm country, essentially. So we're just south of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which probably more people have heard of than Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. And so the thing you must do is just drive around in the quiet, beautiful pastoral scenes of Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which you hop in the car really within 25 minutes, you're going to be in a completely different world. And there are so many great things to do there. My favorite thing to do actually has nothing to do with the Amish farmland, although that's great to see, but Sight and Sound, a really fantastic theater, just enormous, puts on tremendous productions, all based on biblical characters and biblical themes, super high quality, and it is a place where people from all over the country, it's a destination spot. So that's what you must do in our area. Love it. And okay, so going with that food, is there a food in your area? Like, oh, you got to go to this restaurant or the ty- try this type of food or anything in your area because I love food. Well, the, the thing to do is to get involved in the greatest debate that ever was regarding food. And that is who has the best Philly cheesesteaks. So there's actually two foods that are just fantastic here. It's Philly fe- cheesesteaks and everybody's got them. Everybody's got a slightly different slant on them, but pretty much any good pizzeria is going to serve you up a really good Philly cheesesteak. But then the other thing is pretzels. And I, I, I just learned this recently in a conversation around our dinner table that per capita, we eat more pretzels in the Philadelphia area than anywhere else in the country. So there's both hard pretzels made in Lancaster County, which are out of this world, but then there's also soft pretzels at a place called the Philly Pretzel Factory. And it's kind of a franchise chain that just makes the best soft pretzels in the world. So those are the two, pretzels and cheesesteaks. I love both of those. I will obviously say I love Phillies more than anything, and I am a, I'm a sucker for a good Philly. Give me some good mushrooms and peppers. Typically, a whole yeah. lot of onions. I'll do mushrooms, peppers, and a ton of cheese, and oh my goodness. Okay. Like, so you'd fit right in. Perfect. Oh, I, and if, funny enough, I never, I love Phillies, and I've never been to Philadelphia, so it is, it's on the list of when they get a, a legit one. And I know it's the two the two competitors they talk about, which I don't even know their names. What's the two? The two yeah, it's Geno's and, man, I can't remember the second, but they're literally, we've been there and we've tried them both. They're, they're literally right on the same little corner. And I'm not a native Philadelphian. That's why I don't know the names of both. If I was a native Philadelphian and didn't know the names of both, I would be rejected. But it's Geno's and... Boy, I can't remember the other one, but they're literally on the same little block in Philly. It's really fun to go down there. Man, all right. Well, it's on the, it's, it's, it's on the list. The one day all right, day, do it. One, but. I'll take you around if you come up. Okay, perfect. Love it. Well, as we dive in, I, I know I'd love to get to kind of your background on just education in general, kind of yes. how you got to where you are today before we kind of dive into what, some of the questions I have for you. Sure. So the main work I did in have done in education is as 15 years as almost 15 years as a head of school. So spent literally the last since 2009 as a head of school in two different schools, one in Long Island, New York, and one right across the border in Delaware. So I live right close to the Delaware border. Prior to that, I helped to found one of the first Christian life and leadership coach training organizations. So my background is in a lot of person, people development, leadership development through the method of coaching. And then as a family, we homeschooled for 11 years. So I have a pretty diverse educational background that I then bring to the table and have a doctorate in education from Liberty University, master's from Regent University. 
Man. Okay. So huge background. I love this. And I love you with the university Liberty because my wife graduated from Liberty. Well, okay. Awesome. Well, way back in the day. I mean, it wasn't yeah. that long ago. She'd hate me saying that, but she does. Feel <laughs> it's like, gosh, yeah. it was, it was almost 10. I think it was almost 10 years ago. She graduated from there. So it's, it's been a while, but she loved Liberty yeah. and it is, we've, we have visited since and it's amazing. I mean, I don't remember it cause I didn't go there, but it was just how many new buildings. They just oh my goodness. Yeah. It's ginormous. It's yeah, it is crazy. Beautiful campus, but all right. So I love this. I love you. Homeschooled. I was homeschooled my whole life. So I have a ton okay. of respect for the homeschool community and what you guys are, you and your family are are doing there. But now you're at Summit and you're yep. doing you're there to serve Christian schools, Christian universities, and helping them have a better biblical worldview. Is it giving them like courses to take as a teacher facilities, or do you come into the schools physically and help teach kids? Like, what is the primary focus yep. at Summit? Then comes in and does. The uh, the foremost priority has been through the curriculum that we develop. So we have K to twelve Bible class essentially curriculum that is uh, really first class and really takes students from kindergarten all the way through twelfth grade to really understand the depths of a biblical worldview, how it compares to the other competing worldviews that our students are confronted with, both in school and when they leave school. But my work specifically is really coming alongside, and we'll just talk about Christian schools since this is what the podcast is about, coming alongside Christian schools to solve a significant problem. And the problem is that even with the preponderance of information and resources that have been developed in the last, we'll say, 50 years to give a round number in the evangelical church and in the Christian school movement, even with the preponderance of worldview-based books, resources, we're seeing less and less individuals who are young adults and they've been through those kind of programs saying they actually have a biblical worldview. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's a gap. There's a gap in what we say we do and what actually happens in terms of student outcomes. And so what we at Summit are doing now with Christian schools in particular is helping them not understand necessarily a biblical worldview, although that's foundational but rather to understand the unique biblical worldview formation process. Um, and so we, we, we provide training, distance, and at schools uh, to help teachers really understand the model or the, the way that biblical worldview forms. And then we work backwards from there all the way to our pre-K classes to help teachers work in their classrooms, to create environments and experiences in their classrooms that are aligned with the model of biblical worldview formation. And we've seen both in the church, but also in Christian schools, so much focus on the content of a biblical worldview. And by that, I mean, what might the biblical worldview have to say about the current issues of our day, abortion or government or psychology or economics? Well, yeah, we have all that content. We teach that to kids. But what we've been missing is helping kids to actually begin to live that out in their lives through the biblical worldview formation process. So is it coming into and helping them with, okay, so when you say creating curriculum, is it saying, hey, we're, here's a curriculum for a biblical worldview on math and social studies and history and like all, all of that, or just certain subjects that you guys are having curriculum for? for? Within our Bible scope and sequence, we give attention to all the major areas of human inquiry and look at that. What, what we do not have and what we're in the process of developing is more resources for not just a Bible teacher, but a history teacher or a science teacher to teach whatever curriculum they have from a biblical worldview perspective. 
And so that is what we're working on actually, as far as the resources that we're preparing right now. And is it suggested for schools to teach both views? So, hey, here's the biblical worldview we're, we're, we're supporting and we appreciate. And here's the, the, the world, the actual worldview. Like, yeah. is it to give them both? Absolutely. In fact, the biblical worldview formation model that we developed actually requires, and, and in order for a person to really have a strongly developing biblical worldview, it requires that you're conversant in what the other options are. And in fact, research shows that when you take kids and you very carefully and in a shepherded way or a closely monitored way, kind of expose them to alternate worldviews and compare and contrast them with a Christian worldview on specific subjects, that actually has been shown to deepen their commitment to a biblical worldview because they're seeing how it matches up against the other options that are out there. So absolutely. Love that. And then, and then for schools that are wanting this, is it is it free for a school or is it, hey, donation? Is it how, yep. how your funding works? It, how there's a whole mix, as you might imagine, a mix and a spectrum of resources that are available to teachers. There's everything from uh, regular and I think it's probably even weekly blogs on biblical worldview topics and themes that teachers can take and use right away in their classroom as they have discussions with their kids or as they present content all the way up to long-term engagements with me and my team to actually do assessments in their school on how well they're actually doing in teaching in alignment with a biblical worldview and biblical worldview formation. So the spectrum is, is wide open to, to all different areas. And we are extremely passionate about getting materials, resources, and know-how into the hands of teachers. So we like to work with individual um, schools to develop a package or a program that works best for them. Got it. So there's a, there's a paid side for a school that. Oh yeah. Users are yep. okay. Just making yep. sure it's not like a yep. paid nonprofit that is funded by de private donors and yeah. everything's free. So I'm going to make sure. Very good. So what do you see with the schools you're working with? What, where is the biggest disconnect that you're seeing? Cause what I've seen is I've worked with schools, talked with more schools, had them on the podcast is there's a lot of schools, not saying that somebody said this about their school, but what right. they've seen is you would know that that's a Christian school unless the Christian word was in the name of the school. And, yeah. I, and I've heard that multiple times to where I'm like, oh, it must be more true than I thought it would have been. Have you seen the same thing where people are like, oh, it's something, something Christian school, but they're not really doing much in the, when it comes to Christianity in the school. Like, I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah, I see the whole spectrum of schools from schools that would be as you describe them, where if you went on campus or more importantly, actually sat in their classrooms and listened to their teachers and look at what resources they use and look at what they prize or what they value in the school culture, you would say, yeah, th this doesn't look all that different from the other alternatives, all the way to very mission faithful schools that promote a strong biblical worldview mission, and they're actually living it out. And there are some exceptional schools out there that are really doing it. But I see the whole spectrum. And I do see a common disconnect, though, between a school's mission statement and expected student outcomes and what actually goes on in the classroom. And and I don't say that for any uh, any negative or being negative. I don't want to come across as negative towards Christian schools because I've been a leader in Christian schools, and I know how hard it is to make this connect. But we, we write really fantastic mission statements in our boardrooms, and we, we tend to not put the effort required to translate that mission statement into actual expectations of our teachers. And it's almost like our billboards, which would be our websites, really are disconnected from the reality of what we experience every day because it, it all goes down to the classroom. 
And I find many delightful Christian school teachers, wonderful people uh, that are there and they're there on purpose and they've made a choice to be there. But as far as being able to say, okay, if my school says, and I'll give you an example, if my school says we develop students that have a strongly developed biblical worldview, what does that mean when I teach physics? Well, it's not really relevant to physics. So maybe I'll pray at the beginning of class or I'll encourage students to trust in the Lord when they have a test or things like that. But when it comes to actually looking at and examining and exploring physics from a biblical worldview perspective, that's often where the disconnect is. And to me, that's a huge, dangerous disconnect for our students because you'll, you'll probably agree with me. I mean, if you're in the church anywhere in America, you see this huge disconnect between what we do on Sunday and kind of what we do on the rest of the week. Well, sometimes the way we actually teach, we may be passing on that kind of uh, value system where we say, okay, we're doing our spiritual stuff over here. We got chapel, we got Bible class, we pray at the start of class, but then let's really get into physics and chemistry and literature and you know British lit and things like that. And, and the two don't really meet. And so that's what we at Summit are really trying to help schools see the connective tissue there and realize that they never really should have been taken apart, that they're all, you know, together anyway, because all truth is God's truth. Man, and I heard earlier this year, Roger, there was a guy, I was at a conference at the School of the Ozarks or College of the Ozarks in yeah. Branson, Missouri, and there's a guy named Brad who heads up the, the K-12 school there. And he was, he broke down like what, how they break down their classical Christian education and how they get yeah. into every subject every yes and i never heard somebody describe it before so you know here i am like i'm getting into this and i'm like listening going i want to take your class like man i'm like out of this long and he was talking about how they bring the christian worldview and god into uh math and like calculus and geometry and he just i mean i'm not i'm gonna butcher it but the, the gist of it he's like god obviously created everything so god is geometry he created the world he made all yeah. the shapes and so he goes we we tell the we teach the students how you know that triangle makes this and this is what you know all these things that are over my head but as he broke it down i go i that yeah. made so much sense to me it made me go yeah. i could learn from this because they they weave it into everything because god is in everything right so right i love what you're if you're talking about because that's been i mean six months ago eight months ago i was getting taught that and i was yeah, in my mind yeah. a little bit Can I respond to that with two things that I kind of heard that? So one of the things that we say is, and this is kind of like a little motto or catchphrase that God has something to say about every subject area and every subject area has something to say about God. So that's kind of that idea of, of learning about him through what he's given us in all of the subject areas and using that as the lens through which we look at the world. But um, the other thing that we're bringing to the table is an understanding of how from pre-K all the way through till young adulthood, a biblical worldview actually takes shape in someone. And then helping teachers to change not just what they teach, like the words they're saying, but literally change how they operate their classrooms so that the entire environment is not just like filled with Bible verses. That's not what I'm saying, although Bible verses are great things, but rather that the environment is conducive to biblical worldview formation, even in the way we teach. So uh, I'll give you one example. If, If a teacher relies exclusively or close to exclusively on lecture based learning, that actually works against the fullness of a biblical worldview being formed because we know that biblical worldview formation requires active engagement with life. 
you have to be kind of taking on life and processing and, and getting hurt and failing and having success and being confronted with realities. Well, if you're learning in an environment that actually causes you to kind of slouch down in your chair and, and become passive, you're learning the habits of passivity and lecture-based learning. Lecture is great. Lecture is super important. But if that's all your kids are getting, you're, you're learning the habits of passivity. So then when you become a young adult and you start experiencing the wide world, you have ingrained habits of responding to things through passivity. Whereas if as a teacher, let's say even in second and third grade, I'm teaching you the habits of active engagement in learning through me not lecturing all the time, but actually requiring you to do stuff and engage it, you're developing the habit of engaged learning, which again, translate that to when you're a young adult, you're engaged in your own learning. You're not just letting life passively hit you. So the first level is thinking about adding biblical truth to everything that we do in the classroom, which we have to do. We've given a lot of focus to that in the last uh, 50 years. What we now need focus on is how do we develop in our students the habits that they can use for a lifetime of worldview development? And that's kind of the unique slant that we bring to the table. Man, and I relate this to uh, church service, you know, too. You go, you're they're being lectured, I mean, preached, you know, mm -hmm. however you want to say it, but like, you know, you're sitting there, you're like, I was really good, man. And then you go about you, you go about the rest of your week and you're there for 30 minutes to an hour or whatever, depending on your church. Yeah. And but you never apply it. You never try to use it. You don't, you're not challenged with it. And that's why like our church never thought I would go to a mega church. We go to, a, we go to a mega church here in Florida and um, we love it, but their biggest thing was the, the church could be as big or as small as you want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. Into a group. And so we immediately joined a group when we got plugged in and now, you know, we've been there five years, but my wife and I lead a marriage group with some friends. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. And that's like the whole point of like, you're around community to go, Hey, like, Here's what, you, what are you struggling in your marriage right now? Let's talk about it together. And oh, I'm not alone in this. And right. This. Like right. that's when growth actually happens. And you right. It. It's the same thing when I was a youth pastor for seven years. Like I would obviously teach the kids every week, but then the big growth happened when I was like, hey, let's go chat about it at a coffee shop. Or let's absolutely. Go, like, I played video games with one of the kids for hours one time. And we were just talking about life and like exactly that's the stuff where growth I see blossoms and happens because right. you're actually having real conversation with them exactly side of it. And that does not minimize the, the importance of particularly lecture and biblical based lecture. And there are things that our kids can only learn from us as far as content. But again, if that's all we do, which teachers tend to gravitate towards, because that's what many of us were raised with, very lecture-oriented learning, we, we become atrophied. And if you can just imagine using that church example, if your pastor always preach, and every time you talk to someone in the hallway, all they do is talk at you. And every time you go to a small group, it's really just a mini church service where they're talking at you. You just learn to be passive. Okay, my job is to just sit and listen to what other people have to say, as opposed to the example that you give. I'm, I'm like actually required to, to engage this. Now, w the challenge is how to contextualize that to a classroom environment. And that's just one piece of worldview formation that it has to be actively engaged. So that just gives you a little flavor of what we bring to the table where we help teachers look at their classroom, not as a place where they deliver lessons, but a classroom is a place where they create an environment and create experiences that are optimally aligned with biblical worldview formation in whatever subject we're teaching. Yeah. And you're obviously aware that I know, I'm, I'm assuming as some ministries, that when students get out of high school, typically, you know, they drop off, they don't go back to church, yep. they lose their faith or whatever. What, is there a thing that you guys have seen of, 
hey, when we did this or when this is done, yes. it drops that by this many percentage. Yep. That you're actually getting into, Mitchell, the core research that's behind the model and behind everything we do. And the core research was with a couple dozen fantastic young adults between 18 and 23 years old who you would say, I want my kids just like them when they're young adults. I mean, they were committed to their faith. They were engaged in their worldview development. They were aware of where they were strong, where they were weak. But they're the kids, you know, the kids, I would say, the young adults where you would say, wow, these guys these gals have got it together. That's what I want my kids to be like. Well, we, we researched with them and spent hundreds of hours teasing out from them. Well, how did you get that way? What was it about your experiences from you know birth up to 18 years old that shaped you into this kind of person? Because this just doesn't happen. You are remarkable. And that's where we developed this model where we found the common themes that these young adults had and were able to actually put that into kind of a generic model for how worldview forms in people. Oof, that's good stuff. I love it. And I know that you interviewed them and talked to them to get where it is. Because I, I yeah. haven't even put the pieces together. Because you see some of these students come out of ministry and you're like, some drop off and some don't. And I, I can't find a correlation because yeah. Like, yeah, family maybe is a piece of it, but I've seen families that are so dedicated and the kid's gone. And, they're and like, you've seen the opposite, right? Yes. And so you're like, well, I don't know what the commonality is here. I don't know how to keep yeah. it happening. Is there one, is there like three things that come to mind? If you're like, if, if we can hopefully do these three things, or if we see these three things in a student, they're less likely or maybe they're more likely to yeah. leave. Is there something that kind of comes to mind? Yeah. And I'm glad you use the term less likely because obviously we know there's no guarantees. Sure. You know, it's not like a, a computer program that you put the right stuff in, you're guaranteed to get the right stuff out. But yeah, some of the common themes with that, these young adults had experience deeply processing their life experiences. So they were reflective. And that doesn't mean they were mystics or, you know, people that love sitting in their room by themselves all the time. Um, in fact, the most common way, and this is fascinating, that they processed their experiences was through conversations with peers who were on the same journey that they were and heading in the same direction. So really good relational and communication skills are critical to worldview formation. And so the way this works is these young adults, and, and they attested to this throughout their teen years as well, they would have a new experience, some kind of a disorienting experience in life where they'd see something they hadn't seen before, experience something. Well, they didn't just kind of like, meh, whatever, you know, kind of like a meh or perpetual shrug of the shoulders, whatever. They would actually say, whoa, this is different. I, I don't know where to kind of classify this in my worldview or in my schema, so to speak. So instead of just letting it set and going on with life, they would go back to friends and talk about it and deeply work through it. Or they would call a mentor. And, you know, we have this idea that uh, young adults don't want mentors. That is so not true. They may sh act like that. But what we find time and time again is that young adults love having mentors who can process with them, not mentors who tell them what to do. So a mentor that would ask good questions and kind of come alongside them, give them space to wrestle with life issues. So that key was processing. Now, what we did find with most of these uh, young adults that we work with, 
quite honestly, they had also taken some kind of a biblical worldview class. Now, it might have been in church. It might have been in school. It might have been in some parachurch ministry, but they did focus attention on it. And largely that was done because maybe parents encouraged them to, or it was a requirement at the school they were at. So training in understanding the contours of a biblical worldview, how it compares to other worldviews is critical so that students have kind of that as a foundation. And interestingly, these students came from public school, private school, homeschool, classical school. There was not one, you know, oh, we got to give this kind of education to everybody. But so I just thought that was fascinating, too, because I think many times people think if you just get them into the right school, that'll be it. But there, there are deeper qualities and characteristics of, of these students. And that's where, as parents, I have five kids, all adults, I have four grandchildren, as an educator, as a college professor. What this all says to me is I cannot just give content to my kids, my students, and expect that they are going to change. I do need to give them lots of content because they need to be changed based on truth, but I also need to give them space and support to grapple with issues. And one of the challenges in today's culture, which we all bemoan, all of us adults are constantly shaking our heads at it, but really the the social media generation and the quick uh, communication through texting and instant messaging and so, that sort of thing is not helping our students slow down, have eyeball to eyeball conversations where in that relationship we can be transformed. So those are some of the things that are critical uh, that were common among them. That's good. And I, I remember making fun of the students in my class when they said they broke up with their girlfriend over text. I was like, yep. are you kidding me? I was like, <laughs> talk to them in person for goodness yeah, sake. Yeah, like, yeah. That's what everybody does. And I was like, all right. right well, uh, no, that's those are good. I'm trying to think if there's a, I had a quick question on the first one. What was the first one you said of the reason, the three things? That the, well, it was the processing, processing life experiences. Oh, so that, so I like that. Yes. Thank you. So that was one I'm, I'm thinking of like, okay, when they're one of their family, one of their friends commits suicide and yeah. do they, do they deal with it or do they just go oh, whatever and, and move on. And then I feel like if you're not going to deal with it now, you're going to deal with it later. And it's going to be, I feel like worse and magnified later on. And you'll be you know, angry at the world. And I feel like I see more kids not dealing with it, but hope, hopefully kind of rambling here, but I'm thinking like kids at youth group that are coming right now. And like we do small groups at our church and on Wednesday nights tonight, we got youth group. It's a, uh, we do small group time and we hopefully yeah. we try, to pull, try to pull things out of them. Like, what are they talking about? What are they dealing with? And I, I don't know. I feel like the students from what I've gathered, they feel like they don't have a safe place to have those conversations. Yeah. And we're hoping obviously to give them that there at the church, but do you feel like that's maybe one of the pieces that they don't feel like they have a safe place or a safe person to truly have conversations and open up to about things like that? Yeah. And, and I would, you know, to define our terms, when I think of a safe place to process, it, on the one side, it's kind of, we we never want to open up and share a little bit and bang, get judged for it, right? I mean, even as adults, we don't, we quickly learn who we can talk to and who we don't. But the other piece of creating a safe environment is actually teaching kids how to have conversations. And before the issues are major, like a friend that's committed suicide or a friend that's becoming transgender or some of the, all of these really weighty things, it's helping our students practice the art of having a good conversation. And so what we like to do is teach teachers conversational models that they can use with their kids and train their kids with long before they have a really tough issue to discuss. And it can feel a little you know, artificial, but the more we help our kids learn to have good eyeball to eyeball, heart to heart conversations about issues that are not as potent, we prepare them 
for when they do have the friend that commits suicide or something like we said, that they're ready to have conversations. Because I think many times when a student says, yeah, I have no safe place to talk, sometimes that's code for, even if I had a safe place, I don't even know how to talk. I don't know how to have a conversation that's meaningful that will really help me to process. Hmm. Man. So I want to wrap things up a little bit. So I always ask, I lead with the same final question. You can feel free to, uh, to talk a while on this one if you want. But if you were to sum up like a piece of advice to leave with these Christian school leaders that are listening, what would that piece of advice be? Yeah, I always like to help take off some of the pressure because as soon as we start talking about what is traditionally called biblical integration, teachers automatically go to, you know, and I use the example before, I'm a, I'm a physics teacher. How am I going to bring the Bible into this? It's going to feel so artificial and contrived, or I'm a chemistry teacher or whatever. So one, I like to help take the pressure off that it's not only what you say, but examine and think about how you say it and how you create environments in your classroom. And to me, that would take a lot of pressure off to know that I don't have to become all of a sudden this, you know, ace Bible scholar that could write a book about physics and the Bible. No, I actually just have to learn a little bit more about how to come alongside of kids in a way that is conducive or in alignment with how a biblical worldview takes shape. To me, that takes a lot of the pressure off because it means, oh, I can actually study some books on pedagogy, things I'm familiar with, and implement them a little bit more because they're consistent with how God's made us as human beings to learn. Oh, I don't have to lecture all the time. I can create different experiences. Sometimes as teachers, we feel so much pressure to be the ones saying things as opposed to being the ones who's help, helping to create really great worldview experiences. So I know that's a little vague, uh, but to me, teachers need to hear that over and over again before they start kind of being released from this incredible pressure to do something unrealistic uh, in their minds. And that would be bringing the Bible to bear on everything that we do. The, the, but on that issue, the piece of advice I love to give to teachers is just change your information diet. So by this, I mean, if you're struggling if you're a history teacher, literature, whatever, technology teacher, and you're like, I just don't know what to say that would help my students see that God even has something to say about computers or about current events, would be to change your information diet. And there are so many great resources from blogs to specifically podcasts. And I'm, I'm trying to find more and more of them. I just found one recently for teachers of environmental science. Like a lot of teachers that are teaching that are like, I don't know what to do. The culture is saying this. I have no idea what God has to say about the environment. Well, there's a short uh, podcast called Created to Rain. It's like 15 minutes and it's scholars who are biblical aligned Christians who are also researchers in environmental science. And they just talk about current event issues that we all hear about from global warming to hurricanes to forest fires. And they help us see it through a biblical lens. So if I'm an environmental science that's listening, let's say I even commit to one or two podcasts a week. So I'm devoting maybe 15 minutes to 30 minutes a week. As that content is getting into my brain and I'm open and I'm hungry for it, guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to start leaking out in the classroom and you're going to find yourself ready with information. So change your information diet, and maybe even keep a journal of, of things that you learn, just even statements, truth claims about your subject area from a biblical worldview perspective through changing your information diet, maybe reading a book, maybe talking with someone, maybe a podcast. That is the most practical example I can give to any teacher. 
Dude, solid stuff, Roger. And I want to make sure you get a chance to mention if people want to get in contact with you directly, what's the best way they could do that? Yep. You can go to the Summit website, which is summit.org and see everything we do. But I invite you to contact me directly and it's roger.erdvig. The last name is E-R-D-V-I-G at summit.org. And I love interacting with teachers, administrators, and just brainstorming how you can do a better job of biblical worldview formation in your classroom. I've loved this conversation, Roger. Appreciate you taking time out of your day. I've learned something new, and I'm, I'm sure the people listening have also learned something. So I appreciate you taking time. Love what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. And hopefully, when I come to Philly one day, we're going to go get a Philly cheesesteak together. That's right. Definitely. And thanks for the opportunity to share, Mitchell. It was great. Well, another huge shout out and a thank you to Roger for taking time and being on the podcast today. I love what he's doing to help Christian schools and I love his background and all the things that he's doing. I learned a ton from today's episode. I'm hoping you guys did as well. So please go over and connect with him. Maybe reach out on LinkedIn or email him like he gave you guys there at the end of the episode and get connected with Roger and all the things they're doing over at Summit Ministries. And as always, guys, I'm hoping you're able to learn at least one thing from today's episode that you can take back to your school to make it better than it is right now. And we have some amazing ways for you to connect with us here at School Success. So you guys can connect over on our website, schoolsuccessmakers.com. That's schoolsuccessmakers.com. Or please join our private Facebook community just for school leaders called School Success Makers. I'm personally in there and I'd love to see you in there as well. This fall, we're launching, or I'm really excited about this, we're launching our weekly newsletter called the School Success Report. And we'd love for you guys to make sure you don't miss out on that. So go over to our website at schoolsuccessmakers.com. You'll see in the top right, you can sign up for the School Success Report so you don't miss when that launches. We're going to have some sweet giveaways great articles. We're going to highlight and showcase some teachers and amazing leaders in the education space that are doing some awesome things. Some other things, I'll just keep those on the, on the down low. But go make sure you don't miss out on that. It's going to be an awesome release later this fall when we launch the School Success Report. And of course, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, ideas, you can let us know those as well at our website. Just go to the contact form, send over some recommendations if there's people you want us to interview or anything like that. And if you're loving the content that we're putting out, we'd love a five-star review from you because that just gives us some encouragement and kudos because uh, this obviously is a free content source for you guys. So if you can give us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to getting connected with more of you soon as we continue to do more episodes. And we'll be back here next week with another amazing guest as usual on the School Success Podcast. We'll see you then.